0: Well, y'all can take a seat. Uh, Good morning. My name is Thomas Scythe. Uh, and it is a joy to be with you guys today. Um, something you should know about me, one of my, uh, I guess, f- most forming experience is that I am the youngest of three siblings. So I don't know if you are a younger sibling in the room, but you understand, right, that, that it's like, yeah, you thought your family was done, but no, here I am, right? I'm joining this thing, uh, regardless of what the older siblings say. My brother is seven years older than me, um, and so uh, he was much better bigger than I am for most of my life. Um, And uh, I thought I could take him many times. But this is, I want to share just an example of how our relationship worked, right? I remember I was probably five, six, seven years old. And I remember playing, I had a Sega Genesis, which is a throwback. Okay. And I was trying to beat this game. Like, and I think it was like a Toy Story video game. And there was a certain level that I just could not get past, And I would try and I would try and I would try. And I would eventually go get my brother and say, hey, could you like beat this level for me so I could like keep going? And he says, on one condition. And I was like, anything. And he says, you have to lay on the ground and I'm going to sit on you the entire time I'm playing this. And I was like, "That's, that's a fair deal. Okay, let's do this. And he would sit on me and beat the level. I'd be like, thank you, yes, thank you. Uh, and then he would go away, and I'm like, man, looking back, I'm like, older siblings, man. They gotta go, they come, like, and I have two children of my own, and, and it's like, they come into the world, they get all the attention and pictures, right? And as the younger siblings come in, it's like, just get in the car, we're going to soccer practice, like, come on, right? And, and, and I was like, there's gotta be something. Like, as I'm playing that game, and I'm like, there's gotta be a better way to do this. When I got a little bit older, I remember I learned that there's this thing called player's guides, Right, and you could actually just buy a book that tells you how to beat any part of a video game. And I remember thinking, this is this is way better, better for my spine and my self confidence. Like this is just all around better for me. Like I I could not complete this thing, and 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 this is so much better. I'd buy that. I'd get it. I'd put it on my Christmas list. I'd put it on my uh, my my birthday list, and I would get it. I'm like, now I can finally beat Zelda. This is amazing right? And what we're going to be talking about today is two different ways that we can pursue life to the full. And Paul's going to argue that one is superior to the other. And so if you have a Bible, go to Romans chapter 7 and turn there. But if you remember last week, we talked about Romans chapter 6, which is all about offering your body to righteousness. You are no longer a slave to sin. And if you remember the commands of Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10, remember he says, I have come that I would give you life. But not just life, life to the full. And and what do we mean when we say life? What does Jesus say? He's talking about all of who we are, our mind, everything we feel, even our very bodies, our experiences being aligned with the will of God. That is life to the full. For us to walk in complete unity with our Father. To walk in the peace and the love and the joy of the Holy Spirit. Dallas Willard, who is a philosopher, says, Love, joy, and peace are the three fundamental dimensions of the fruit of the Spirit. To walk into fullness of life is to possess the love of God. To be able to experience it. To be loved by Him. And to experience the love of others. To have the peace of God which surpasses understanding. To have the joy of the Lord which exceeds all of our experiences. It's not dependent on what comes our way. To be people who are not anxious in an increasingly anxious world. That is life to the full. Now if we are honest right now, that is not our experience. Can anyone relate to that? Where you're like, man, okay, I I see that. I see that Jesus says there's life to the full, but I haven't experienced that yet. Or worse, you've been trying as hard as you can and still fall short. Man, I've I've been trying to read my Bible. I've been trying to follow the commands of God the best of my ability. I've been trying to do the right thing, and yet I'm still anxious, right? Even this morning, I lashed out. Or, I got angry with my kids. I'm trying my best. Why is this not working? You still have deep desires for sin that just do not seem to be dislodged. You're still drawn to pornography on the internet. You're still drawn to to hide your sin. There is no joy, peace. It flees from you. If we're honest, that is many of our experiences. And some of us have been in that state for so long that we kind of just told ourselves, it's not even possible to get there, right? Like this is just kind of, yeah, Jesus said life, but it was more like life with like a low-grade anxiety just simmering for the rest of time, right? Not life to the full or where I'm jealous of other people or feel bitterness towards other people. And I just try to keep that at bay. And we have begun to believe that it's not even possible to step into this fullness of life that Jesus talked about. Now, Paul in the book of Romans is going to counter that. And he's going to say there's two ways that we can pursue fullness of life. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And my argument today is that fullness of life is found in the new way of the Spirit and not in following the old way of the law. Fullness of life is found in the new way of the Spirit and not in the new way of law. Because I think all of us want to be people who are a non-anxious presence in this world who possess fullness of life here and now and experience closeness with our God. So if you have a Bible, let's go to Romans chapter 7. And I read most of this passage. We're going to be in verses 1 through 13, but we're going to be hopping around a little bit within this section. And we're going to start with verse 7. And he says this, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. Now, here's my first point that I want us uh, to get today living under the law produces death. I've already stated that, and I want to argue that now for the next few moments. But first, I want to talk about what is the law? When Paul is referencing the law here, what is he talking about? And I think it's this, right? It is uh, the—if you look at the first five books of the Old Testament, also known as the Torah, there are several commands given— Most scholars think it was written by Moses, but it outlines. In in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it outlines. There's all these commands given about how the people of God are supposed to live. If you go through and count every command that is given, there's north of 400 commands. That is the law in its entirety. It's summarized in the Ten Commandments. Have no other gods before me. No idols. No using the Lord's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath. Honor your parents. Do not kill Do not commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, and do not coven. Jesus summarized it in two statements. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law. And the law was given to Israel at a time when they were forming as a people. And remember, God had made a promise to Abraham. I'm going to bless you and so that you are a blessing to all nations. And the law was this list of commands given to make Israel stand out among all nations. Not to prove that they're better, but to shine and reveal God's blessing to the world. That is the law. Now, the the Jews fell into a trap with the law they went to the law for two different things that it was never meant to. The first one was for stability, and the second was for sanctification. They used the law and began to say, okay, if I can do the law, if I can perform the law, if I can be better than most at the law, that's how I know I'm okay. In fact, let me even add commands to the law to show how devoted I am, to show how righteous I am, to show how devoted I am to my God compared to other people. And they sought stability by the law, but they also sought to be sanctified by it. If I can just follow the law, I can take possession of fullness of life with the written commands of God. Now, Pause. I want to bring it back here, bring it back to 2023 for just a second, because most of us, if I was to poll, is not tempted to, to, to print out the Old Testament law and put it on your wall and be like, I'm going to follow this, right? Like polyester, gone, right? Pork, gone. Like you're, that's not your temptation, but we fall into a similar pattern where we look at the commands of God, not just in the Old Testament law, but also the New Testament commands given, and we rely on them for the same things. We say, How is my relationship with God? It is measured purely by what I am doing for Him. You guys ever experienced that? Where you're, you're, okay, God is happy with me as long as I am doing this XYZ. Cool, I'm shooting for a 30 minute quiet time. It was only five minutes today. That's like a C maybe. Like at least I was there. My roommate was not, he was sleeping in it. Like I gotta be doing pretty good. We can fall into measuring and boiling down our entire spiritual life to the commands that God has given us through Scripture. We rely on them as our barometer for our stability. What does God think of me? It's based on what I'm doing, what I did last night. We use it to sanctify ourselves. If I can just do these things, I will become that person I always thought I could be. I can step into fullness of life. That is our problem. And I want to read this before jumping back into our passage. Jesus said this to the Pharisees. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is these that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. Jesus exposes us for the Pharisees. He says, you think that in the scriptures you have life. And in that context, Jesus is referring to the Old Testament specifically. So why does living under the law and trying to just memorize the commands of God not work? Paul, has, I think, has two arguments here. First one is this. The law just exposes our sin. Go back to verse 7. Remember, Paul says, on the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. Paul admits, he says, one of the things that the law is really good at is calling sin what it is. Saying that this is sin. Right? And so he gives, the law gives us a definition of sin. It, it reveals what sin is to us. And what it does is it exposes the sin in our hearts. The law, a good metaphor for what the law does in this regard is like an x-ray machine. The law can scan and reveal brokenness underneath the surface. It reveals what the standard should be and where our brokenness is, is and yet has no power to fix it. The law only exposes our sin. Now this should be humbling to us. Because if you read the law and you say, I've got this, I'm doing pretty good, okay, this is awesome. No. If we are under the weight and the authority of all the law, it condemns all of us. All of us are sinners. It is the equivalent of the cancer diagnosis, right? The doctor saying, hey, I have the report in front of us. I have bad news. When we submit ourselves before the law, it exposes that we fall short. Look what James chapter 2 says in, in tackling the same issue. Forever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point. He has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder now if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder you have become a transgressor of the law one of the things that we love to do when we rely on the law when we look at the commands of god we love to focus on the commands we're really good at and to ignore the ones we're bad at right and we measure ourselves by that now james makes this point and he says don't you know it's the same god who spoke all the commands and if you're going to go all in on trying to be good enough by the law standard to lean into the law, to try to beat the guy next to you, he says, if you break one aspect of the law, you are condemned. You are a transgressor. That is what the law does. Galatians chapter 4 says it this way. And, if I, and I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Paul beats this drum over and over and over again. He says, no one makes it out alive. But there's a second thing that the law does, which is perhaps more sinister. The law provokes our sin nature. Keep reading in verse seven. Or verse eight, I should say. He says, but sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind for apart from the law, sin is dead. So there's something that that is Paul's pointing out. He says there's something about our very nature, our broken state, that when commands are far from us, like we're, we're like we're not we 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 fail to daydream about what's possible. But as soon as a command is set before us, it provokes our sinful nature to disagree verse 9, I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive, and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved it to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. Do you see what Paul's saying there? He says, not only does the law condemn us and expose our sin, there's something in us that just rebels against the commands of God. When we are just given the commands of God, there's something in us that just says, no, I don't uh, fully believe that. We hear, yeah, thou shall not make a graven image. And in, in the Jew's mind or whoever's mind, they would say, yeah, but what about? Or they would say, okay, love your neighbor as yourself. And there's something in us that says, yeah, but who's really my neighbor? Like maybe just we all rebel. There's something in it. It provokes our sin nature. I was, uh, I was cleaning out my shed a few years ago, and it's this old like plastic shed that I got from uh, Home Depot. And uh, I, it, you know, kind of like some water and some other things got in there. It's kind of nasty. Um, but I had been in there many times, and I never really seen any bugs or anything while I was doing that. But as soon as I started cleaning it, Like I like removed the lawnmower and I removed the shovel. All of a sudden, I like found just like the nests of cockroaches just scurrying out and moving in every which way. And I start looking around. I'm like, they're everywhere. Like they're crawling. And it's like, why have I never seen this before? Right? And it's like, well, I've provoked. They were lying dormant. They were always there. But as soon as light started shining into that place, they were provoked moving in every which way our sin nature, our brokenness, which is this propensity in us to pursue selfishness over the good of other people to promote ourselves instead of the love of God. This propensity in all of us to pursue what is broken is provoked by the law. And Paul's trying to make the argument that when you rely on the law or the written commands of God, you're playing a losing game because it provokes your sin nature and condemns you. So his conclusion in this point, look what he says. He says, the written commands of God only bring us death on their own. I just want to highlight, look at verse, you don't have to turn here, but look at verse four. He says, you also died to the law. Verse five, we bore fruit for death. Verse 6, by dying to what's bound us. Verse 9, he says, we died. Verse 11, through the commandment, put me to death. His whole point here is the commands of God are holy, they're righteous, but they produce death within us. So I've been the youth pastor here for seven years, seven and a half years now. Uh, I've loved it. But being in ministry, you talk with people and you learn about their inner lives. And, And obviously, working with a lot of our guys, one of the most common things, and this is for all generations, not just youth, it's for college, but men struggle deeply with pornography. And I've sat with people who say, I I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of being drawn to this. I've written scripture on the mirror, and I've, uh, I have people who tell me what to do, and I try to have this accountability software, but still, I cannot overcome this thing. And they discover this reality that the command itself cannot bring life. It sets the mark of holiness It's good and from God, as Paul will later say. But it is powerless to save. So many of us, when we tackle our sin, when we want to step into fullness of life, we rely simply on the memorized commands of God in the same way that the Jews were were tempted to rely on the law. And we say, I'm just going to like grit it out. I'm going to put like scripture everywhere. And I'm just going to try harder I'm going to do my best. And that version of Christianity, okay, I believe in Jesus. Now let me just try as hard as I can, does not produce fullness of life. And that, that weight burdens you. And I think some of us in here have that burden. Man, I've been a believer. I came to faith. Maybe it was at a VBS or youth camp. And that burden of why am I not kicking this thing? Why am I not? Why am I so anxious? Why am I so angry? Why has this not been solved within me? And that burdens you. It weighs you down and it crushes you. You're riddled with guilt and shame. And you wonder if anyone would love you if they really knew everything that was going on. The law produces death. Death. Now, I want to read this last part here because I think our first gut reaction is like, well, the law is bad then, right? But look at what Paul says in verse 12. He says, So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? may it never be, rather it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good so that through the commandment sin would become utterly sinful. His whole point here is the law is good and is given to us by God but its effect on ourselves when it stands alone is Death. Because the law does not budge from its standard. The law is good. Even though it's unable to make us good. The law produces death. Now praise God. Paul does not end there. He gives us another way to pursue life. Living in relationship with God produces life. I want you to go back To verse 1. Actually, let's start in verse 4. He says this. Therefore, my brothers, you also were made to die to the law. There it is again. Through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another. To him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. So why does living in relationship with God produce life? The first point. You belong to the giver of life. Paul gives this metaphor here uh, using marriage as an example. He says this in verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. And that's a passage that says the word adultery a lot. You know, here we go. Um, He is using marriage as an example. He says, when you make that covenant before your friends and family and God, he says the law binds you To your spouse. In the words of Genesis, the two become one before God. Let no man separate what God has joined together. Right? He says the law joins you together. And and his point is this. You were married to the law. The law was given and you were bound to it. The law held you. You could not set yourself free. But then he says, what happens if your spouse passes away? If you lose your spouse, it says then you are set free from that commitment. So if you marry another, it is not considered sin. It is not adultery. And he says in the same way you have died to the law, the law both kills you, but also was fulfilled by the work and the blood of Jesus. And so that law, that burden, that obligation to follow the law Is broken. And his point is this you are now free to marry another. And to complete his metaphor, he says, You now belong to him who was raised from the dead. Now, many of us know the gospel in here. I want to explain it because when we become a believer, we do not graduate from the gospel. It's not like, cool, that was like, that's like children's ministry. And then we like go on to like the deep stuff in Revelation. No, the gospel is is the deep stuff. It is at the center point of our relationship with Jesus. That he took on flesh, became like us, was perfect, flawless. What the scripture says is that Jesus was tempted in every way like us and yet was without sin. Like, just think about it. Like, he he was tempted to be bitter. He was tempted to become angry unrighteously. Tempted in every way like us and at every moment of every day he remained flawless fulfilling the law becoming a perfect sacrifice so that when he went to the cross he was murdered sin was poured out on him not just the world's sin out there but our sin and he died But when he raised to life, he defeated sin and death. That's why we sing. That's why we write all these songs. That's why we are here and gathered together because of that reality. And what Paul is trying to say, when you believe in the gospel message, you are set free from the burden of the law and you belong to someone new. You enter into marriage with Jesus Connected to him, set free under no obligation to the former law. It's a beautiful metaphor. Now, so many of us in here, we think, okay, yes, yes, we're saved by grace, but like we can't just be running around doing what we want all the time. We got to get people in. And I just want to pause that tendency. The commands of God are good, and we're going to talk about that a second. But the reality is this, regardless. Of who we are, what we have done, through faith in Jesus, we belong to him. Regardless of what is happening in your life right now, or what happened last night, in Jesus, we belong to God. Like, just think about the weight of that. Right, the most trying thing, one of the most trying things on a relationship is uncertainty. Uncertainty. Some of you guys have been dating someone for a while, and you're like, well, I don't know if we're on the same page. I don't know. Like, that adds tension. And you're like, hey, I'm graduating in May. Like, like, i got to make some decisions. I need you to commit here, right? Uncertainty in relationships stunts its growth. And what Paul is trying to say is you belong to Jesus, secure, steadfast. Nothing can take you out of his hand. You have relationship with God now and forever, and He holds you fast. I was talking to a parent this week who has older kids, and they they love the Lord, and they're doing well. And I remember just talking with him, and I was like, like I've have, I've have, I have kids. I was like, how do you, how do you get that? Like, how do you you know is there like a like devotional that's really cool or you know like did you pray from dawn until dawn? like how do you get And he said a simple answer. He said, unconditional love. He said, I show my kids unconditional love. And that unconditional love is the soil for us to grow and to become who we are. So many of us do not treat ourselves as accepted by Jesus. We've placed our faith in Jesus And yet we still think that we are measured by the law. And Jesus says, I have fulfilled it. You belong to me. You are safe. And there is unconditional love poured out on your life. What does it mean to belong to Jesus? I just want to highlight three different passages here. Our sins are paid for. Look what 1 Peter 1 says knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like gold or silver from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Jesus. To belong to Christ means we have our sins paid for in full. To belong to Christ means we have a new status. Look at Galatians says, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. To belong to Jesus means everything that Jesus has gained in his perfection is transferred to me and credited to my account. I am no longer just a servant of God. I'm not just some guy who snuck into the family of God and like live under the staircase and I hope they like give me food sometime. No, I'm a full member, an heir. and we have a secure future. One of my favorite passages, John chapter 14. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Isn't it just amazing? The disciples are stressed on the eve of Jesus' death, and he's like, he's comforting them. They're like, where are you going? He's like, I just want you to know where I'm going, I'm preparing a place for you. Just like a parent prepares the room of a child that they know is coming into their family, God prepares a place for us. Our secure future will not be taken. We belong to the giver of life. But there's another aspect too I want to highlight. You have the spirit who brings life. Read with me in verse 5. He says, For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter." He says, we have a new way in the Spirit given to us. Now, I'll say a few things briefly about this. The rest of Romans chapter 7 and 8 dives deep into the spiritual life and our interaction with the Holy Spirit. So I will leave that to Brian to unpack for you guys in the future. But Paul brings us up here and he says, I want you to realize that you have the Spirit with you. The Spirit who is the giver of life. I just want you to think about, when, when so, so many times we forget about the Spirit. If you're like me, it's tempting to be like, yeah, yeah, okay, like, cool. Like, I understand the Father, the Son, but you forget about the Spirit. And Jesus himself told his disciples, it is good for me to leave you because the Helper will come. The author J.D. Greer talks about this, and he says the Holy Spirit inside of us is better than Jesus beside us. In Jesus' own words, he says, it's good for me to leave you because you get the Holy Spirit who will come and be with you, who will help you. The author of Hebrews in chapter 8 says, this is why it's a better covenant. The covenant of the new life of the Spirit is better, is superior to the law. I want to highlight just a few things that the Spirit does for us. The first one is this. He changes our hearts. Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah prophesies about this, and he says, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The new covenant, with the Spirit enables us to do is to have our hearts actually transformed, to have the commands of God enter into our very soul and our heart. Only he can change us. The Spirit also helps us to obey. John 16, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come the spirit will actually guide us helping us to apply the commands of god bringing to mind teaching us giving us insights the spirit also secures our identity look at romans chapter 8 the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you sl- live in fear again rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship by him we cry Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Spirit, one of his ministries in our lives is to remind us of our status, to secure it in our minds, in our spiritual life. That's one of his jobs for us. And then lastly, he intercedes for us. Romans 8, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. It's like, even if we don't know what to pray, the Spirit, in a way that I don't even fully understand, intercedes on our behalf, speaks to the Father on our behalf. So we belong to him who was raised. We belong to Jesus, and the Spirit's been given to us. That's the difference. If you picture this analogy, the old law, the written commands of God, the oldness of the letter leads to death. And the way of the spirit leads to life. I have a new shed in my backyard, not made of plastic, praise God. And I remember like, yeah, they could just dump all the pieces in my yard, whatever, and maybe they got broken or chipped or they needed to be painted, if they just dumped all that in my yard, I, don't, I could never assemble it the way that it's supposed to. But the professionals, as they came in, they had all the right tools, the equipment, the power. They knew exactly what things were supposed to look like, and they were able to build this thing in like 12 hours. When you think, it's not a perfect analogy, but when you think about the law, it's like, I'm incapable of fitting this thing together. All I'm aware of is my depravity when I just think about, I need to do this and this and this for the Lord in order to be who I'm supposed to be. But the spirit comes in, he guides, he helps, he speaks. And in relationship to God, we are able to become and be built into something beautiful. So I want to close with a couple application points here. I want you to ask yourself which one of these ways of pursuing the Lord best describes you? Life in the spirit, in relationship with God, or is it pursuing the law? It is subtle, the differences at moments, because the spirit does not despise the commands of God, but with the spirit walking relationship with God does is couches the commands of God in relationship and unconditional love. Creating the soil, the perfect situation for us to grow. So as an application, I want you just to pose that question to yourself. Which one better describes the way I'm pursuing the Lord? Maybe you are not sure if you have a relationship with Jesus and you think, man, Christianity, church, is just trying to be a good person. Hoping I please, quote unquote, the man upstairs. No. The invitation is to relationship with God. It is a better way. Many of us need to repent of looking to the law for life. We've let that mindset, we just try to do better. We say, I need to repent of that. I just need to create a time and a place to meditate on the reality of what Jesus has done for me. I I just need to sit in the identity. As we sing songs, I just need to meditate on the reality of my security in Jesus Christ. Whatever your next step is, what I want you to do as we sing this last song is just ask the Lord for help. Think through and say, Father, help me to walk in relationship with you. Because I have been set free from the law. So if you would, let's bow our heads together and let's pray. Well, Father, praise be to your name. That we have been set free from the law in Christ Jesus. So much of who we are wants to cl- cling to the law. And yet, the law only just produces death. The righteous commands of God cannot on their own make us righteous, only relationship with you can. So I just pray right now in the name of Jesus over our congregation that we would just walk in the security of relationship with Jesus. We would live from that identity, not for that identity. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.